You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. You can go and find your seat. I pray that you came hungry this morning. Honestly, that is one of my biggest prayers on any given week, is that the Lord would prepare hearts to receive his word. There is, in kind of a similar vein, there is something sacredly unique to the the ministry of the word in the corporate context because the Lord is building us up into something together. And so there's a corporate revelation, a corporate journey that the Lord has us all on together. So I pray that you've come hungry for the word. That's been my prayer all week long. Lord, prepare their hearts. Like, stir up that, the the, the fallow ground, the hard hearts, that we may receive your word the substance of, of the gospel. Um, if you have your Bibles, open up to Isaiah chapter eight. I wanna share a word with you that's been on my heart for several months. Um, but then Christmas season came upon us and I really felt like the Lord was saying, this is, this is the time, this is the moment. Because um, Christmas, the Advent season, is the time where we turn our attention to our king, our coming king, the king who came once and he's coming again And so there is this, and there's meant to be, especially in the church, this kind of electricity in the air of anticipation, as I spoke about a couple weeks ago, that's we're like looking towards the horizon, like we've we've tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord that came through a baby and was he's he ministered on the earth, and that was like a deposit and a foretaste of even the greater. Uh, coming again in the age to come with his second return. So it's it's in the air. This awaiting his return. And so I want to speak about something that I do believe is very important in our generation. It's called waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. That's what I want to speak about this morning. It's a, it's a concept that I believe has become rare and foreign to some because we live in such a busy age, there's so much noise, there's so many things trying to tell you that there there are quick answers, there's these silver bullets that can fix all of your issues. And hidden here within the cross, within this baby, God-man who came in the flesh, within the whole gospel narrative, there is something hidden for us. And this is like a secret weapon for the children of God that I want you to grab a hold of this morning. This is like a secret weapon in these days to wait on the Lord. For our attention to be turned fully to the Lord, for him to have our, uh, the fullness of our attention and for us to be a people found waiting for him. As he came 2,000 years ago, there, were, there was much hubbub and busyness and hustle and bustle, just like in our generation And there were some in Israel found waiting, and there were others that were not. And as we read the the Matthew and Luke, like, stories, the narratives about his coming the first time, we see these characters arise, the Mary and Josephs, and the the shepherds waiting in the fields near Bethlehem, and these, you know, even ones outside of the the Jewish faith, the, the, the wise men from the east, Later on in the, the Luke narrative, we see Anna and Simeon in the temple who had this sense from Holy Spirit that they would see with their eyes the coming of the king. So we, had the, we, we see these ones that pop up. They were found waiting. 
And so I want to impart this to, to our church family, this secret weapon of our day, the secret weapon for the children of God to be ones who wait on the Lord. To wait on the Lord, it's, it's, a, it's not a term that we maybe use all the time, but it, we find it all throughout the, the, the Old Testament specifically. It's this posture of fullness of attention, of with certainty awaiting a certain event. Like this assurance of faith that this thing will come to pass. It's more than just passive idleness. It's, it's not just sitting around twiddling your thumbs, staring at the clock. No, it is a heart posture of confidence saying, I know the Lord is true to his word, that the promises that we have have been given will come to pass. It's that sort of life posture. This is actually how we begin in our faith in Jesus Christ. It is a, an assurance of trust that he is enough for our salvation. That's how you enter into the kingdom of God. That is what Jesus described as being born again. As we finally come to an end of ourselves, that we cannot clean up our own lives, that we cannot do anything to, to make our lives right before a holy God. And so we finally trust, uh, trust Jesus to be our savior. But we're never meant to depart from that posture. That's meant to be the place we began and we continue in. That's meant to be now our lifestyle of complete trust that he not only is Savior, but he is Lord. He's not just the one who cleans, cleans us up, but now he is king of our life. He has our full attention. So another helpful way to think about this concept of waiting on the Lord is thinking of like waiting on Jesus like a waiter or a waitress would wait upon a guest. So it's not that you're just sitting, sitting around, because maybe the, the Luke story of Simeon and Anna give you this picture that you're just supposed to sit here at the church and wait around all the time and fast all the time and kind of just awaiting King Jesus to pop over the horizon. No, there is a lifestyle we can live within of, uh, of uh, attentiveness and attuneness and faith in the promises of the Lord where he has our attention. And so it's like a waiter or a waitress, the guest is premier. They, they, what the guest wants, the guest gets. And so in a similar way, the Lord is in these days. In Luke 18, as he tells the, the, the parable of the persistent widow at the very end, he, he says that very thing. He says, you know, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? It's like, will he find a people who are waiting on him, who are waiting for him, who believe that his promises are good and true and will come to pass? Why is this so important? Because we all live, and we've lived in this place for the last 2,000 years, this place of experiencing a kingdom of which Jesus said the kingdom of God is near. But we still see many precious promises that have yet to be fulfilled. And so we live in this tension of here but not yet. We see certain breakthroughs. We have been adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters, certain deposits and foretastes of, th of things to come. But yet we look around our lives and Monday morning we're gonna wake up with certain frustrations and angst and anxieties and worries that wear on us. And there is hidden here in the gospel, there's hidden here in what Jesus purchased for us, a lifestyle that's available for us, which I believe is a secret weapon to be a people that wait on the Lord. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 8. 
you know, Isaiah 7, 8, 9, they all become prophecies for the church of the, of the Christmas story, of this coming Messiah, this Savior, in a time in Israel's history where they were on, under a lot of oppression, there was this brewing kind of groaning in their hearts for a Savior, for a Messiah. And yes, he would free them from coming oppressors in, in the form of Assyria, but, but the Lord would free them on a grander scale from the oppression of the enemy, the oppression of sin, and set us free, obviously, through King Jesus himself. So th- these, these few uh, prophecies in Isaiah 7, 8, 9, are that. They are Christmas prophecies, foretelling of the coming Messiah, telling us of this, this promises to come. So I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 8, and the specific context is, I think it's really important. Um, this is at a time, and this confuses some of us sometimes, but this is in a time of a lot of chaos in Israel. Like Israel as a nation is one nation, but it's split up into two kingdoms. And so you have Israel, which is like extremely hard-hearted, extremely rebellious in the north. And they've actually aligned themselves with Syria from the north. And then you have Judah, who, if there's any like glimmer of hope in the nation of Israel, it's found in Judah. And there are these people, and this is where Isaiah is ministering. He's ministering in the south in Judah. And so Isaiah gets this download from the Lord that, yes, Israel and Syria are going to be attacking uh, Judah, But Assyria, a foreign empire, is actually going to come and wipe out both Israel and Syria and kind of be a a temporary reprieve. Uh, They will not be kind to Judah, though, and that's kind of the the, the asterisk to it all. Uh, There's going to be a a temporary reprieve from this attack coming from Israel and Syria, but this is going to be tough days ahead because of the then oppression that's going to come from Assyria. And then the Lord gives them this download of then freedom from Assyria. So that's the the context. So you can imagine Isaiah ministering in Judah. He's ministering to a people who are full of this anxiety and fear and panic and and, um, like sense of impending doom. And we read Isaiah 9 last week of like there was this sense that they, they assumed this gloom would be theirs forever. This would be their destiny. And Isaiah actually proclaimed a message of hope that gloom and darkness would not be there. The light would shine again. Even in the north, uh, the light would shine. So that, that's the context. Let's read that then uh, in Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 11. The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. <laughs> that's, uh, that's wisdom for our age. The Lord gave Isaiah a warning. Don't think like everyone else does. I would say that's extremely relevant for us today. And it sounds very familiar to the words of Jesus, does it not? Where he says, they say this, this is how you should pray, or this is is what sin is, or this is what I say. Or Jesus also says, you know, the, the Gentiles worry about these things. Well, don't worry about those things because you're a child of God. This is what your loving father thinks. There is something available for you. It's called the mind of Christ. So he gives Judah 
and even the entire nation of Israel this strong warning. And I believe this is also a very urgent warning for us today. Do not think like everyone else does. Maybe you need to write that on your fridge this week. Maybe you need to write it on your mirror at home. Put it on the the wallpaper on your phone. Do not think like everyone else does. What if there is a different truth than the truth that's being spoken over your life? And he said this, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. Don't live in dread of what frightens them. So you can imagine living in little old Judah in the south and having the bullies from the north that are gonna be coming to attack you. And so you, you feel like this, this now we're, he's talking about conspiracies, he's not talking about um, the Illuminati and UFOs and uh, you know, backroom deals sorts of conspiracies. He's, he's talking about like this this like sense of paranoid distrust of everything, of the system, and like everything is, is coming against them. But we don't live in dread by what frightens the rest of the world. Is that not good news for us today? We don't live in dread by what the, by what the world is frightened by. The Lord, I mean, the, the world is, is frightened by death. As children of God, we're not afraid of death. The world is frightened by sickness. We're not afraid of sickness. The world is frightened by what people think. We're not afraid of what people think. The the world is frightened by what tomorrow brings. We are not frightened by what tomorrow brings. There is like a higher plane of which we get invited to as children of God. It's the plane of the promises of God that we know are yes and amen. He says this, this is then the the command. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. Make him set apart in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. Does the Lord ever make you tremble? Does he ever like, is there ever like a tingling sensation down your spine when you meditate on, on the Lord? I think that's the, the beauty of the triune God. He covers all of his bases in which the ways in which he needs to manifest himself to woo the hearts of people. Yes, there is Jesus, meek and mild, willing to wash our feet. Yes, there's Holy Spirit willing to comfort and counsel and assure of his living reality. But there is the Father, this Holy One in whom we cannot even look, this one who is fully set apart, the sovereign one. He is the one we should fear. He is the one in whom causes the heavens to tremble. He is the one in whom we should fear, we should be frightened. Him and him alone, we set him apart. So where the world is in chaos and in panic, we live in a generation addicted to panic, addicted to hysteria. That's all going around right here. There is an urgent warning that Isaiah is giving that is relevant to us today. Do not fear those things. Don't give in to that hysteria and panic. Don't give in to every word of conspiracy against you. Instead, look to the Lord. Set him apart as holy. 
Allow him to cause you to tremble. Do you ever get on your knees before the Lord and just allow him to overwhelm you with his otherness, the fact that he is completely set apart? So I said I was going to talk about waiting on the Lord, and this is where it starts. The first kind of foundational layer of like building a life that waits on the Lord is understanding his sovereignty. That is the first foundation, is understanding the Lord's sovereignty, that he is, that he stands apart, that he is completely other, that he is completely holy. Sovereignty. The sovereignty of the Lord becomes this hiding place for those that truly understand it in its proper light. Sovereignty is not a cop-out for you to do whatever you want. And there's a lot of misunderstandings about the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty, the sovereignty of God somehow releases us from responsibility. That's not the sovereignty of God. I actually had the, the weirdest thing uh, happen two weeks ago with my iPhone. I don't know if anybody has had this on their iPhone. Um, but I've had this update that says, in order for me to continue to use my iPhone, I have to agree to the terms and conditions. And it's like, that doesn't seem like willful agreement, does it? I mean, it doesn't feel like, like I'm truly accepting the terms and just to use this device that I've already you know, spent a thousand bucks on. It's, some people treat the sovereignty of God like that. Like he's gonna have his way with or without our willful agreement. He will in the grandest form of things. But he is looking for a willful people. He is actually very, very genuine, and we're going to talk more about this. Like, I read scripture, and I see in the consistency of the character and the nature of God a genuineness to it. He's not playing games. That when he gives a command, he's actually looking for willful participation. He has not created robots. He's looking for a willful agreement in, in men and women across the earth. And so the sovereignty of God is not just a cop-out for us to do whatever we want, act however we want, not take responsibility for things. The sovereignty of God is this foundation for building a life that waits on the Lord, knowing that he reigns above it all, as we just sang, that he is completely holy, that he's completely set apart. And here's something I think we need, we need to consider, especially in, especially in this very self-infatuated, egotistical age that we live in that we think we're the end-all, be-all, everything is so unique about our generation, we think. You know, God stands apart from time itself. God created time. God is not in, in the least bit co confined to time. God created time itself. Have you ever thought about that? He's not subservient to it. He's, he's not limited by it. He created it as a device, as a, as a tool in his in his grand uh, master plan, he is completely other, even in the sense of, of our very existence within time. And that should send like a shudder down your back, down your spine. Like it should cause us to tremble. That he is completely holy. He is sovereign. So the sovereignty of God is this foundation for a life that waits on the Lord. Let's keep reading because there's a beautiful promise here. Verse 14, he will keep you safe. Or he will be, the ESV says, he will be your sanctuary. He will keep you safe. He will be your sanctuary. But to Israel and Judah, 
He will be a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many will stumble and fall, never to rise again. They will be snared and captured. He, he really sets up the crossroads of salvation that are going to be revealed to, through the man, Jesus Christ, the God-man. For some, they will see in Jesus a path towards righteousness. They will see the way to the Father. For others, they will see a stumbling block and they'll actually stumble over him. It'll cause them to fall into greater hard-heartedness and, and self-deception. And so as we are awaiting the promises of God, as we are contemplating the timing of God, as we all wake up Monday with certain unfulfilled promises that have, have yet to come, as you're waiting for your loved one to come to know Jesus, as you're suffering with a sickness, as you are uh, you know, ravaged or tormented by panic or, or anxiety, there is this, this groundwork available for us in Christ of, of why the Lord sometimes waits why, why sometimes it seems like from our limited perspective, the Lord delays. And one of those reasons that we see then repeated throughout scripture is salvation. So there's the Lord's sovereignty as the foundation. But on top of that, we see much hinging in terms of the timing of the Lord as people that wait on the Lord. We see much hinging on salvation. It's one of the Lord's primary priorities in this age is that all would come to repentance 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. You know, he doesn't want any to, any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So that's, that's the Lord's priority in this age. So the prophet Isaiah here, he, he sets up this, this needed crossroads. It's going to be revealed here in, in this age. This needed crossroads of people actually coming to a crossroads and making a willful decision for themselves. And it's the crossroads of salvation. For some, they will stumble and fall and others, they will find a sanctuary. Others, they'll look at Jesus and they'll see their very hope. Others, they will look at Jesus and they'll scorn. They'll mock, they'll ridicule. That has been the pattern down through the ages for the last 2,000 years. People come to this crossroads before the cross some scorn it, and for some they fall on their knees in trembling and in love and thankfulness. And so as we contemplate the timing of the Lord and we kind of await the, the greater fulfillment of certain promises, we have to surrender our discontentment, our frustrations, our awaiting to the realities of the Lord's higher priorities of salvation. The Lord is longing for hearts The Lord is wooing those individuals that are part of those situations that weigh on you, the things that cause you anxiety. The Lord is working on people's hearts, drawing them, softening their hearts, calling them to himself, calling them to a place where they can make a decision for themselves, a crossroads. Let's keep reading. Verse 16, preserve the teaching of God. Entrust his instructions to those who follow me. I will wait 
for the Lord. Yet there he gets to it. He releases the secret weapon upon us. I pray you, you pick it up and begin to use this lifestyle of waiting on the Lord. You preserve his teaching, you entrust his instructions to those who follow me. I will wait for the Lord who has turned away from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my hope in him. I and the children the Lord has given me serve as signs and warnings to Israel. From the Lord of heaven's army who dwells in his temple on Mount Zion. Now Isaiah says a lot here. But he does give this glimpse into his own lifestyle of living as one who waited on the Lord. You know, Isaiah had the, you know, I wouldn't say it would be a coveted position at all of being a prophet to the, to the nation of Israel. With it came this weighty revelation of things to come, but yet being caught in the, in the, the muck and the mire of Monday through Sunday, like we all live. Like he lived in this place of people railing against him and hating him and mocking him and ridiculing him and, and complaining and, and grumbling about everything going on in the nation. But yet he had had this personal revelation of what his ministry was meant to be to the nation of Israel. And so he carried this, this certain weight. And so I think it's important for us to put in its proper context the larger story that the Lord is writing of which our life is, is interwoven. And that third layer, so I'm kind of building something. It's a, it's a life of waiting on the Lord. The first is the sovereignty of the Lord. The second kind of building block is salvation, his priority for all to be saved. And the third block is prophecy. It's, it's the Lord's prophetic narrative, the, the prophetic story that the Lord is writing over all of humanity. There is a story bigger than you, bigger than me, bigger than Isaiah, of which the Lord is unfolding. And sometimes like the angst and the worry and the, the frustrations with the Lord that we carry are no, are no more, and I'm trying to be tender with this because I live in this place as well. It's no more than just a reflection of our own self-obsession. No more than just a reflection, like our world is kind of our universe. And sometimes it's really, really good for us to, to zoom out and realize the Lord is writing a bigger story than we could ever imagine. And wow, the fact that I get to be woven into it, like the, the fact that the Lord is like open my eyes enough to allow me to be called the child of God in his family. I will wait on you, Lord. I will be one that, that waits on you. Even when I don't understand, even when it seems like the odds are against us, even when it seems like the enemy is bigger than, than what I thought he would be, I will wait on you. I will put my hope in him. I know this sounds like foolishness. Like you won't find this lifestyle on Google or the Twitterverse. You will not. Because it sounds like foolishness. It sounds like pie in the sky, like naivety, blind faith. It is, but it isn't. 
It isn't because we have the actual substance of the man, Jesus Christ, who came historically, actually lived, died, and rose again. So he is our faith. Yes, much of the day-to-day does feel like blind faith, but it's not completely because we actually have the revelation of Jesus. So we're building this life of waiting on the Lord. There's the sovereignty of God, which is not a a um, cop-out to live however we want, but instead is this real reverence for the set-apartness, the holiness of God, the fact that he is completely other, that causes us to tremble. Then there's, the, there's um, salvation, his priority for all to be saved. And then there is prophecy, the fact that he has woven us into a story much bigger than us. So let's keep reading verse 19. Because this is the part where it actually does now require us to act. He says, someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead with their whisperings and their mutterings. They will tell us what to do. Like he's getting down to the level of like personal advice. He's getting down to the level of like, you wanna know what to do with your family because you hear about the the, uh, Israelis and the Syrians from the north that are gonna attack us. You wanna know what to do with your family. So you're you're seeking out these mediums and these fortune tellers trying to to figure out what to do for your family. He's, He's at that level now. Maybe they'll tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Like he just, he throws it out there. Like you're the children of God. You're actually in covenant relationship with God. Don't you think you should ask God for advice? Should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. Does that not reflect our current society, our current world. There is this angst and rage. There's this anger, this perpetual divisiveness. That's no more just a reflection of people's internal condition. They're hungry for answers and they're looking for it, looking for the answers in all the wrong places. And so this is the part where There is quite um, emphatic action required of us. There's the sovereignty of the Lord, understanding his saving plan for humanity. There's the the bedrock of the prophetic scripture for us. But fourthly, there is now the, the command for us to be a people of prayer, to be a people who seek God for answers as we lead our families, as we lead our lives, that we're led by him, and not whatever the, the advice, the, the fashionable advice is of our age, but instead we look to him for our instruction. That we actually take seriously the teachings of his word and say, we wanna know how to live out our faith in our modern age. As we look towards 20, 2022, that we say, Lord, we believe that you're at work on the earth Lord, let your, let your will be done in Ames as it is in heaven and give us wisdom on how to see that come to pass. That is the life 
of living as ones who wait on the Lord. That when you see the world, your friends or family, seeking out answers in all the other places, maybe it's not the spirits of the dead or the mediums, but maybe it is the, the really easy places of some blog post or picking up the phone and quick trying to get an answer from somebody else, even if they're great people. What would it look like if your lifestyle began to be, uh, began to be a default of waiting on the Lord, a default of going to the Lord for advice and instruction? What would that look like? What would it look like for us to be a people that began to live that way of trusting the Lord? Maybe you've had enough as he talked here of trouble and anguish. There is a secret weapon available for you and it's a life of waiting on the Lord. As he said earlier, that Jesus would continue to be your sanctuary, that he would continue to be your safe place. This is the place I am so desiring to live. I don't live here perfectly, but I'm continually desiring to live here on a more and more consistent basis, a place where the Lord truly is my safe place. He truly is my sanctuary. He is the place that I run when I, I literally don't know which way is which. That I begin to, to run to him for instruction, that I take seriously his direction and his instruction. The Lord kind of began to write this, or kind of impress upon my heart this message of waiting on the Lord after a number of circumstances this summer where I had time to um, kind of reflect on the, the larger story that the Lord is writing in my own personal life. And I began, like moments like that are really, really good. Not that you need to be continually like introspective about your, your life story or whatnot, but I think it's good at times to like zoom out and realize how the Lord is leading you and, and writing a beautiful story in your life. And uh, this summer though, I, I had a, a starking, like a stark um, encounter with the Lord that did allow me to again recall how the Lord had given me and my father a pattern of, of this sort of lifestyle waiting on the Lord. Um, you see, my, my dad was one, and still to this day, he is one who lives well in that tension of like stubborn, resolute faithfulness to the promises of God, but at the same time, not at, at the same time, not uh, ignoring the reality that there are certain things unfulfilled in his life, certain promises yet to come to pass. And is that not the case for all of us? After we say yes to Jesus, you say yes to the Lord. And this needs to be proclaimed in this modern age. We say yes to the Lord and everything doesn't just instantly turn into to green grass and daffodils and blue skies, right? No, your heart comes into alignment with the Father, you're made clean, your conscience is swept clean. But much of your life is still very normal. There is still this, this rub, this chafing with the encounter that you just had, that things are not how, how they ought to be. 
And that's where we begin to uh, pray and live is, Lord, allow your will to be done in my life as it is in heaven. But my my father, after he encountered Jesus his senior year of high school, of whom was deeply influenced at that time by his high school sweetheart, my mom, she was really the one who started going after Jesus and nudging my father, her boyfriend, to go after the Lord. And finally, he encountered Jesus for himself. He surrendered his life to the Lord. They went off to, to college together in Fargo, North Dakota, and, and lived life, started to have a family. From like a 30,000 foot view, or even just a quick glance, like, trying to judge a book by its cover. Everyone would think it's just a fairy tale story. In, in, in Christianity, that's what it's, you encounter the Lord, you find your spouse, you have a family and a white picket fence. The end of the story, right? We all get fooled into looking at other people's stories and assuming that's the case, but we all have junk we have to fight against. We all have this oppressor from the North coming against us. And we come to these crossroads of will we choose to wait on the Lord? Will we choose to, to hunker down and find our safe place in the refuge of waiting on the promises of God? My mom, after my younger brother was born, just fell into a, a real dark place of depression and started to turn to prescription drugs and alcohol and bad relationships. And her life just began to spiral, spiral out of control. And so what seemed like a fairy tale story took a wild turn to the left. My dad though had, and Jesus is the hero of our family story, but my dad is definitely like somebody the Lord used in my family because my dad had this steadfastness through it all. Even, I know even as an older son now, he's, he's uh, shared more with me of the, like the inner conflicts he carried, the weights he carried, but, but he lived in the midst of a, so much turmoil, but yet such steadfastness for us kids. My mom sometimes wouldn't come home at night. Sometimes she would come home drunk. Sometimes she'd end up in jail. Sometimes she'd want to kick my dad out. She lived in this just utter chaos for three years or so. And my dad was that one who I'd find, as I'd walk down the hall, I can still see it vividly. I'd walk down the hallway of my house and my, my dad's door would be cracked open. And I'd see my dad on, on his bedside, crying out, not even silently, but literally crying out for our family. There was this life of waiting on the Lord that my dad demonstrated for me, that God in my bones. And that's kind of what the Lord was beginning to speak to me about this summer, that he was calling me to, as I'm facing my own battles, as I know you are. There is a secret weapon available for you as a child of God called waiting on the Lord, which is yours. You can be that one who, even when everything seems to be coming against you, you still find yourself content at the feet of Jesus. Even when it seems like you're, the mountain of promises yet fulfilled only seems to grow, you find yourself waiting on the Lord. Even when it seems like that son or daughter will, 
will never turn back to Jesus. You find yourself waiting on the Lord. Even when it seems like you win the battle of cancer once and it comes back, you're gonna find yourself waiting on the Lord. Even when you endure some sleepless night of anxiety, you find yourself in that place of waiting on the Lord. It's a lifestyle. That's how we came into this whole thing in the first place, is trusting him. Will we trust him again? Will you stand to your feet in this place? I want us to respond to the Lord. I think what the Lord, the the pattern the Lord began to unfold to me this summer was that the, the one Somebody's phone is reading scripture, which is awesome. Just keep going. They want to keep going. Isaiah 9, we'll go back. <laughs> um. <laughs> you got good friends, Dave. I love it. My, uh, what the Lord began to speak to me about this summer was like, my dad began to live out a pattern of this. Like when there was one battle, the Lord would come through, bring the victory, but it always seemed like around the corner there was another battle. You know, my, my mom spiraled, she ended up taking her life, which was on a, a whole other battle. My, my dad ended up meeting an amazing woman of God and it, we became like the Brady Bunch and it seemed like things were turning around, but all all of his older kids then began to turn away from the Lord. It was like, my dad would go from one battle and he'd go into the secret place, find his sanctuary in God. And please know my dad is not a pastor. He doesn't, he doesn't get paid to pray. He's just a real follower, lover of Jesus like you all. And this was his lifestyle. He'd find himself in a battle and he'd go into the sanctuary in Christ and see it through. Terry until he sees the breakthrough. Wait on the Lord until he has a resolve and a faith that the promises of God are true and good and right. And then another battle would flare. And that's the pattern I've seen over his life and I'm indebted to it. And I want my life to be a reflection of that as well. I want us to respond to the Lord. If you'd all bow your heads and close your eyes in this place. The Lord is here. He's ministered his word. He's equipped some in this place with a new resolve, with this secret weapon, which is found in the cross, hidden in the beauty of the resurrection, imparted upon every life through Holy Spirit. And it's this secret weapon of waiting on the Lord. It's been given to you this morning. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.